What a marvelous reminder of the motivation of the life that we share together as followers of Jesus Christ. We are not about trying to earn God's favor, but we are bathed together in wonder over the grace that he has given to us, the love he has lavished upon us. And it is the reality of all of that goodness that motivates us also now to go out into the world and to lift others up in his name. That is the impulse that a year ago now inspired this congregation to uh, take on some uh, new visions and projects that we hope would enable us together over a two-year period to lift some 10,000 people towards their God-given potential, to reach new people, to reach down and lift up the little ones, to strengthen families and marriages and to come alongside of older persons and those in the pain points of life, to support our mission partners more fully in the years to come. And we're halfway through that lift vision together. We are going to continue all the way through the rest of 2024, pursuing the particular visions that you see described in the booklet that was handed out a few weeks ago and that you can get a copy of at the literature stations today. And we have been teaching throughout this series uh, going back to some of the basics, talking about what it means to be a disciple, to be a church like the early church, and thinking together about the great practices of stewardship that have always marked the lives of faithful followers. We're going to close out that series today, and after the message this morning, uh, come together in an act of dedication for the remainder of the journey of this uh, year ahead, and you will find uh, in the packet that we gave to you some notes that can help you follow along with the message this morning. They're available on page 33 of the uh, Lift Together uh, booklet. I welcome you to turn to that and if you're online with us you can find that by going to the opening page of our website and clicking on the Lift Together tab there and you'll get access to an online booklet. Before we plunge in let me just invite us to observe a word of prayer once more. And now, Lord God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, you who are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you came to me following the service today and asked for a moment of private time and we sat down in my office together and you said, you know, Dan, I'm really, really struggling right now in my marriage. I might well ask you, how long has it been since you two had a rhythm of a date night together or an opportunity really to get away together? And, and, and to leave behind the stresses of life for a moment and to look into each other's eyes and to connect more than perhaps you've done for a very long time and to play together. You might find that a question a little bit uncomfortable depending on how things have been going, but I imagine you'd recognize the importance of that kind of question. If you came up to me and you wanted to talk about the, the, the chaos that's currently going on in, in your family life, maybe you were in the, the middle of that zone of parenting where things, people are going every single direction it seems and it doesn't feel like you're too connected. And I said to you, um, 
have you got a pattern of eating meals together? Could you imagine restoring a pattern of, of, of looking across the table at each other at least once a day and checking in on the highs and the lows of the day? There again, you might find yourself a little bit uncomfortable, but you'd see the value of that question, I imagine. If you came to me and you were looking for advice about your golf game, you'd be very unwise to do that. But I, but I would begin by just saying, have you consulted a, a professional about your golf grip? Because Bill Sheehan, one of the longtime members of our church and three-time senior amateur champion, tells me that the whole game begins there with the quality of your grip. And in a similar fashion, if you're at all interested in, in how you might manage your financial resources even more in keeping with the intentions of God in a way that is pleasing to him and helpful to you, I would probably ask you, are you tithing? Are you tithing? Tithing is an essential connection point a priority point in your marriage with God. Tithing is one of the most crucial rhythms in the family life of faith. Tithing is the way that we develop the right grip on, whoops, money matters, or on microphones. Tithing is, in an essence, the fundamental practice of the Christian steward's life. And so I just want to ask you the simple question today. How's the tithing thing going for you? Maybe your response is, and it's understandable, what exactly is tithing? Because there's a lot of confusion about the, even the meaning of that word, and I want to think about that with you. Some people think that tithing is, is giving to any charitable concern. Any time, any amount, it's just giving. That's not bad, of course. Generosity in any form, with any target, is a movement. It's a godlike movement of our hearts. But the Bible, when it is talking about tithing, is more specific than that. According to Scripture, tithing is giving to the Lord's work the first 10% of our income. Let me say that again. It's giving to the Lord's work the first 10% of our income. And I want to take a moment to just unpack each of those elements, if I could, and try and be helpful in really understanding what is meant there. Tithing is, first of all, giving to the Lord's work. In Old Testament times, the people of God distinguished between the giving they did to the various worthy concerns of life and the giving that they did to the Lord's work through the temple of God. As we do today, the ancient Jews paid taxes. They had to give to the Roman government, for example. As I described last week, they also gave to their families, an important destination or target for our giving. And they gave alms to the poor, as I described also last week. But tithing was the specific commitment that they made to the work of the Lord through the life of the temple. The Israelites viewed the temple 
as sort of like the seed storehouse of the spiritual life, and more than just the spiritual life. It was the place where the Israelites worshipped. It was the place where the hurting could find refuge. It was the uh, place where the young and the old alike heard the word of God proclaimed and, 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 and in, uh, exampled or modeled by so many of the elders of the community of faith. It was the place where the great festivals of the people of God got celebrated and the stories of God's merciful action and providence got told again and again till they formed the identity of God's people. The temple was definitely not the only place where the Lord's work was done. God's not confined to a particular building or or location, but it was from this spiritual storehouse that the seeds of God's truth got sowed out into the world. We have a statue out in the uh, narthex of our Oak Brook uh, uh, building to remind us of that vision of the seed being sown. When the temple was strong, then the life of the nation tended to prosper. When the temple languished for lack of personal and practical engagement or support, then the life of the nation of Israel tended to suffer. And we can draw parallels, I think, uh, even in our time with the life of our nation and the quality and the strength of of the Christian community. Because the word for this kind of storehouse today is the church and Christian ministry. As I tried to emphasize last week, the church of Jesus Christ is not the only place where the good work of the Lord is being done, but it's an immensely strategic center for the expansion of that good work. This is why in the Meyer home, uh, we give about two-thirds of our tithe Uh, and tithing has long been a practice in our family's life, we give about two-thirds of it to the local church and about a third of it to Christian ministries and other places. And and in certain seasons, that uh, percentage goes up toward the local church in times of special uh, need and commitment. You have to figure out your own formula on these things. The Bible doesn't get legalistic about this. You have to think about what it means to you, what the local church and other Christian ministries mean to you. But I will hope that you will keep in mind as you think about these things that the church doesn't get government grants. The church can't support itself by selling products. The church rarely gets contributions from outsiders. God's design for the church as for the temple in olden days is that it gets supported through the tithes of the people of God. It's just, it's the business model. It's the support structure. It's the way that things work in the life of the local church. So that's the first first big idea, if I um, may advance for today, that I hope you'll hold on to. Tithing is giving to the work of the Lord that flows through uh, his storehouse. The second big idea I want to just throw out there is that tithing is giving the first fruits of your income to that purpose. The book of Proverbs says, and I quote, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. In other words, tithing isn't tossing in what's left over when I've spent my money on everything else that I want. 
It, it, it isn't waiting till the end of the month or the end of the year to see if there's anything left over that I might uh, give. Tithing is giving to the Lord's work the first portion of my income. Why is that important, do you think? Why, why would the Bible instruct that as it does in so many places? Well, I think it's for several reasons. The most obvious one is simply that God belongs first in our lives. God's the source of every morning I wake, every dollar I make, every breath and liberty I take. God is the source of it all. We even have his, his name as the source on the window here in the sanctuary as a reminder of that reality. Giving him the first fruits of my life is not an act of heroism. Giving him the first fruits of my life isn't an act even of virtue. It's just an act of gratitude. It's a simple way of saying, thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for me. Secondly, giving our first fruits is important because most of us need reminding from time to time that the Lord is first. Um, seeing the auto withdrawal go out of our account, um, writing that check at the start of the month, um, making a, a, a priority of putting something into the plate on the first day of the week, these are things that help me keep God at the front of my life, not in that leftover place, not in that afterthought section that is uh, easy for me to let God slip into given all of the other affairs and the clamor and the demands of this world. Jesus was right when he said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I think what Jesus was saying when he, when he said that was that, 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 that how we spend our treasure will reflect our heart. That's definitely true. If you look at the, the, the list of expenses and the way that money gets allocated in my house, it's going to tell you a lot about my priorities. It's going to reflect the real heart that Amy and I have for the work of God and the needs of the world. But it's more than just a reflection of our heart. Jesus was also saying that where we put our treasure will affect our heart. It will shape our heart. It will, it will train our heart. I find that where my money goes, my heart follows afterwards. I want my heart going after God. I want my heart beating hard after the heart of God. And so in my household, we send our resources, a significant piece of our resources toward his work because our heart follows that. It tends to follow that. The third reason for putting God first with our giving is that it has the same beneficial effects that putting our spouse or kids first with our time does. It strengthens the relationship immeasurably. I have, I have started over the past month or two a new practice on Sunday afternoons. I play a video game called Baldur's Gate 3 with my 25-year-old son who lives down in Missouri. I'm not a big video game guy any more than I would naturally be a big give my money away guy. But the reality is my son loves this game and he asked me, 
would I do this with him? And, and the chance to have regular relational time with a, a young adult child in another state is, is so precious to me that, that I've set a commitment. I, I've put that first in, in order to build that wonderful relationship. And tithing works this way too. I think it's what Proverbs is getting at it when it says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Prioritize him, show his value in your life with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. There'll be blessing that comes from this investment, larger than you might get even from playing video games with your kid. God says, if you want me to trust you with even more resources, if you want your barns and your vats supplied with even more than you need so that you've got even more to give away, then put me and put my interests first in your life. So let me just summarize here. Tithing is not about giving just anywhere, but about supporting the work of God's storehouse. Tithing is not about giving just any time, but about putting God first. And thirdly and finally, tithing is not about just giving any amount. Tithing is giving the first 10% of our income to the Lord's work. It's not giving whatever I happen to have in my wallet when I'm in church. It's not a gift that seems really big to me or probably better than the next person is giving. The word tithe comes from a word that literally means tenth, tenth. When God says through the prophet Malachi, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, he is saying, bring the first 10%. A tithe is a tenth. An offering is what we give once we've given a tithe. And you'll hear us say that sometime. Let's present the Lord's tithe and our morning offerings. And the wonderful grace in this is that puts all of us on the same footing. You don't have to worry about how large your store of wealth is. You don't have to feel ashamed that you're not in a position in your life to give at the level that X person is giving. The reality that we're giving on a percentage basis allows us all to play a part in some way in the work of God. I had a very emotional and significant conversation with a man this past Monday who came to our church uh, somewhat irritated that last Sunday I had said that, that real income in the United States had, had grown over the past 50 years in the middle income uh, family category and in the high income family category, it was somewhere between a 50 and a 70% growth. And this particular man uh, had not experienced that in his life. And, and I listened to the incredibly difficult circumstances he had been going through in, in his, uh, over the years, and my heart went out to him, and I apologized to him. I said, I should have said, individual circumstances may vary. I should have said that. And I thanked him for expressing his heart to me. I said, isn't it, there's one silver lining that I got you so mad, now we know each other a little better. I know your story. I know that some of you right now 
maybe in a time of tremendous financial distress and duress. And I don't want to take that lightly at all. And if you find yourself in that position, please know you are valued here for who you are, not for the level of giving uh, that you're able to manage in this particular moment. It's my job to picture the biblical ideal toward which the scriptures call us, and I trust the Holy Spirit in you to know what's possible at this point in your journey, and I want to underline there is grace for those feeling the gravity of life. I also know that some of us are in a different position than the man I met with on Monday. Uh, some of us find ourselves blessed by God in ways that do give us the capacity to be generous. Uh, somebody once uh, said to me uh, literally this, you know, I've been giving 10% for some time, but I gotta be honest with you, Dan, it doesn't feel like a sacrifice. I think I, maybe I need to give until it hurts a little bit more. And I just want to say to you, you could do that, but I don't think it's the primary aim of the Scripture's teaching. In fact, my answer is, don't let pain be your guide. Let joy be your guide. We're told in that passage we studied last week about the Macedonian churches that their generosity came alongside an overflowing joy in being able to be part of this meaningful work, this life-changing work. Uh, that was needed in Jerusalem's life. We see that, that Jesus himself went to the cross for the joy set before him, the Bible says, in knowing that he was fulfilling the purposes of God and, and enabling life change and eternity for, for anybody that would put their trust in him. I would say, keep giving until it brings you joy. That's the vision of the scriptures. I often hear people asking the question very practically, is tithing about giving 10% before or after taxes? And I always, I always uh, admire the conscientiousness of that question. And, and here's what I would say, pick a target. <laughs> Just pick one of those targets and, 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 and ask God to help you get to that target and then see how God might continue to move in your heart from there. Wherever you happen to be in your journey with tithing, let me finish up today just by suggesting three wonderful reasons why it would be so great if over this next year, all of us could inch up even a percentage point or two toward that biblical goal, or maybe even beyond that biblical goal as God enables us. The first reason gets suggested by what God said to Israel through the prophet Malachi. We read that text earlier, but let me give you a little bit more of it. The text reads, ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. And this is one of the great themes in the Old Testament, is I know you're doing some of what I've asked you to do, but you're not obeying all of my commandments. You're not, you're not practicing this fully only partially. Will a man rob God? God says through the prophet uh, Malachi, yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, says God. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. 
Now, this is the part where I remind you, I'm not the critic here. <laughs> I'm just the reporter. I'm just bringing the message of Scripture to you. I'm not trying to attack any of you in this way. Although I feel the sting of this kind of a challenge myself. God is, is plainly saying here that he does not think it is asking too much that we find a way over time, and sometimes it takes time, to manage our money in such a way that we are able to reinvest just 10% of what he's entrusted to us in the work of his kingdom. It's like you walk up to me after the service today. I'm out there in the narthex. I'm greeting people. And you slip your way down into the Mission Cafe and you get a box of 10 frosting-covered donuts, you know, with the chocolate and the vanilla icing. And you come over to me and you say, Dan, I love you. Thanks so much for all that you mean to me. I want you to have this box of donuts. And I'm blown away because I get hungry after I preach and I'm sort of excited about the thought of eating one of those donuts. And I reach out for one of the donuts and you say, oh, not that one. You know, actually, on second thought, Dan, I, I'd like to have that one back because as I was coming over here today, I saw somebody who looked pretty hungry and I'd like to bless them with that donut. And it would be like me saying, Oh, no, 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 no. I want all of the donuts. I've got plans for every single one of those donuts. Like I said last week, the average charitable giving in America right now is only 1.7% of total income. It's like I'm saying to you, oh, no, 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 I need 98.3% of all those donuts. But you can have this little crumb. You can have this little crumb. And, and I just want to remind you, I'd love to see another one of those boxes of 10 next week. Keep it coming. What would you call me? What would you call that kind of behavior? Maybe you'd call it rude. Maybe you'd call it ridiculous. God calls it robbing. God calls it robbing him. And so I want to invite us to, to think about this. It bugs God when, we, when we're not willing to be part of this plan to bless other people through us, through what he gives us. That's why God says in the text, bring the whole tenth, the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. It's the only time in all of the scriptures that God says, put me to the test. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. Can you imagine how much blessing could pour out through this congregation's life if every single household practiced tithing fully? I ran the numbers this week. I did a little estimate, and that's all I can do because I don't really know what the income pool here is individually. But I do know that what the average after-tax income is in DuPage County. And I do know what 
what the number would be of each household in DuPage County, um, or rather, each household of our church was making just the average. Some of us are making a lot less. Some of us are making a lot more. The average, by the way, I think is $140,000 in DuPage County. And, and I know what it would mean if, if all of our households of this church, and I know how many there are that give, were giving a tenth of that after taxes, um, it, it, it would be certainly north of, of $20 million of capacity in just this church alone to lift people towards their God-given potential. Uh, it would be just an amazing flood of blessing that would move forward if we were all tithing. I want to leave you, however, with one final reason to move toward tithing or maybe even beyond it if you're not already there. Back in the days when, um, when ice cream uh, Sundays cost a whole lot less than they do uh, nowadays, um, a 10-year-old boy entered a, a hotel coffee shop and sat down at a table. And the waitress came by and she put a glass of water down uh, in front of the boy and, and, and she looked sort of expectantly at him and he said with eyes bright in anticipation, I'd like an ice cream sundae, please. And, and the waitress, who was having a kind of tough day, said, that'll be 50 cents, please. That'll be 50 cents. And the boy looked kind of crestfallen for a moment, and he furrowed his brow, and he reached into his pocket, and he pulled out some coins he had, and he started counting his way through the coins. And then he looked up and he said, how much for a plain dish of ice cream? And she said, 15 cents less, that would be 35 cents. And he said, I'll have a plain dish of ice cream, please. She went away, she got the ice cream, she brought it back, she set it on the table, she walked away again to attend to the other customers. The boy looked at the uh, ice cream with pleasure and he uh, dipped his spoon in and he ate up every single, in fact, he ran his tongue around the rim, got every little bit of that ice cream he could, he left some coins and he walked out of this hotel coffee shop. The waitress came back. She had her uh, sponge with her. She began to wipe down the table, and all of a sudden she stopped as she swallowed hard at what she saw there on the table. There placed neatly beside the empty dish were two nickels and five pennies, 15 cents, exactly the difference between ice cream and an ice cream sundae, a very generous tip. I'm not sure there's much more beautiful in this world than people who sacrifice to do what's right and to do what's good and to bless others in, in some way. I think most of us in this room want our lives to be beautiful. And, and in so many ways, they already are. I want to invite us all as a congregation to, to make a renewed beginning this year. Um, to, to, to look seriously at, at where we are in our tithing journey. To contemplate all of the reasons why we might move further on that journey. 
Let's test God on his promise. Let's test him on his promise to us to supply us with the capacity to keep on giving. Let's keep believing together in a grace that is greater than the gravity of life, and let's be part of God's movement through these remaining months of 2024 to lift 10,000 people or more toward their God-given potential. Please pray with me. Lord, it humbles us to realize that we are frequently even more generous to the people who serve us ice cream than to you who have given us life, salvation, eternity itself. In our clearest moments, Lord, we know what we want to do with at least one of those donuts in the box. We want you to have it. We want you to use it. We want to see what you will do with even a tenth of our resources to bless others. Indeed, God, we want the whole of our life to honor you. So as we go forward from this place today, help us to even be more prayerful. Help us to be even more careful in money matters. Help us to get out of debt, to save prudently, to become generous givers and tithers. For we remember that though you were rich beyond compare, you humbled yourself. You took the form of a servant. You poured out your very life that we might become rich with the heart and the hope that matters most. What a beautiful life you live Dear God, make us evermore like you. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. As each of us prepares to make our own response to God's grace, I want to invite you to enjoy with me this testimony from a family in our Butterfield congregation who a year ago got involved in our LIFT initiative, stretched uh, their thinking and their commitment around giving at that time, and are now finding themselves stirred again to be part of all that God is doing. Let's watch and listen together. My name is Matt Boltice. Uh, this is my wife, Kathy. We've been coming to Christ Church since early 2022. We attend the Butterfield campus. We started coming to Christ Church because I was horseback riding with a member of the Butterfield campus. She and I were chatting about churches. We were looking for a new church home, and she said, and if you know of an acoustic guitar player, Matt's been an acoustic guitar player for for years and years and years. You know, that's like such a gift to me to be able to do that, to do something that I love to do and honor God doing it. So one of the ways that we have gotten involved was in the Rooted Group. We mm -hmm. joined a Rooted Group at our first opportunity and we did it more for the social aspect. We just really wanted to get to know people. And we also grew spiritually in like leaps and bounds that we were just not expecting. The biggest effect for me was with prayer. You know, my prayer life really 
changed. There was new ideas about prayer that I hadn't really considered. Journaling, listening. This was more, Matt, be quiet, listen. And when I did that, it changed my relationship with God for sure, and, and he spoke to me. So it was amazing. A big spiritual moment for me going to Christ Church in the last year was going through the Lifted group. We were at a position last year where we had some financial uncertainty. And so then this Lift program starts and we're kind of like, Ugh, I don't know. Started coming to the realization that, hey, we need to not be so worried about money and need to start thinking about, you know, what God wants us to do and be listening to him. And so we always kind of said, we'll tithe. Whatever God gives us, we'll give you 10%. And uh, I think I was losing some of the joy in giving, having that be kind of a contractual obligation, you know? And we kind of turned that completely upside down because of Lyft. And what we ended up doing was making a commitment that we couldn't support based on what we were making and based on new bills that we had and just kind of went forward in faith. And uh, we both were kind of like, okay, Sweaty God, palms. okay, Sweaty God, palms. you know, let's see what happens. <laughs> and the very next day I got a contract renewal at my business that, I mean, it's unprecedented, that kind of assured my income for the year and maybe even beyond. And I texted Kathy and I said, this big thing came through. And she's like, God's laughing right now. <laughs> you know, why didn't you trust him, you know? And then we even got to the point in August, you know, where we had to increase the amount that we were giving because God's blessed us so much. Doing Lyft and, and kind of making our commitment that we made here, it's made it a much more kind of joyful thing. And it's almost like laughable because I still don't understand how it's working, but it is. So every time that I give, it just, it puts a smile on my face knowing that somehow God is handling all of it for me. If you're afraid to make that commitment, I can understand being afraid, but just take that leap because God will show up in the most incredible ways. God's provided for us. God's been generous with us and uh, even encouraged us to keep going beyond, you know, and I'm hoping that uh, in another couple of months, we'll be increasing it again.